The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. Yeah, this week, <laughs> this has been, man, it, it's been interesting. Do you ever, you ever have that experience where everything seems to be falling in place? My wife and I were sitting and talking, and just out of the blue, I I hadn't had any conversation with her about it. Um, she keeps throwing these other podcasts at me, um, you know, Jay Shetty and and Steve Harvey, and the timing of the things that they're talking about, just affirmational, and 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 about the reason. Every time you come and you listen to us, the Reason 55, there's going to be something that is going to be aspirational. It will be continuously an evolution of hope. I promise you, you won't walk away dissatisfied. You may be, you may be questioning some stuff, but you won't be dissatisfied. All right, <laughs> you didn't hear me running my mouth, but you know what? Let's kick the tires and get this rolling. Olas Media presents Reason 55. All right, fam, welcome back. Um, you, <laughs> Yeah, I am so excited today about our guest. It, it, this is a brother that, yeah. So, I man, you sneaky brother, because <laughs> I had no idea until I start researching, preparing for this interview, who I was dealing with. Uh oh. <laughs> You're, you're 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 an internet sleuth looking up all the, all the research because the internet never forgets. I guess. Oh man, I mean, you just look, I, and I think it's one of the things that I love about probably almost every guest, um, but you in particular, man, you you're just this unassuming dude that just is moving. And I didn't realize how big you were. <laughs> you were moving, man. Hey, I, I, look, I, I. So just to give everybody a little background, I met Saul. Um, man, what has it been? Five, six, five. About years? five years, Steph. Yeah, five years. Um, through a through a mutual friend, Betsy Butler. So thank you, Betsy. Uh, for introducing us and we we met at what was it la county um hall of administration our county government yeah. in la county yeah and we sat and had some lunch and had some conversation and man and i i, I just i and 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 the relationship has grown and and he's engage me in in some work and effort in LA around juveniles around probation and 
I I'm 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 like I said, I'm blown away. So so look, man. So everybody else can get a little flavor of of what I just found out this the <laughs> this morning and over the last few days. Can you give us just a little quick, you know, a, a, a summary of your background, man, and 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 then we're gonna get into the why. Sure. If that's all right. Yeah, no, for sure. It's great to be here with you, Stefan, and uh, be part of uh, Reason 55. I'm so excited you're launching it. I think you have such an important uh, voice and uh, trajectory in the world and commitment to everything that's good. So I'm glad you're you're using this platform to have conversations and bring folks into it. Um, I think the easiest way to describe um, what I'm you know, been ded dedicating my time to is uh, that first meeting. So we were sitting in the middle of the seat of government in the largest county of this country, which if it was a state, LA County would be uh, the eighth largest state in the United States. And that's um, by virtue of our population, but also um, this is a county that moves $30 billion a year. Uh, that are intended to serve the needs of the people of the county of LA. And let's be clear, even though the county manages every, everything from our taxes, uh, if we're homeowners, the vast majority of county uh, departments are dedicated to uh, meeting the needs of the uh, poorest residents. So it runs our uh, county welfare systems, it runs our foster care systems, it runs our uh, uh, a portion of our court systems that's in partnership with the state government. But for the most part, the county's involved in your life. Uh, this is uh, th th this is the kind of thing that you're dealing with. And it means that you're really impacted by things that are invisible um, in terms of decisions that are made in, in this big gigantic building right in the middle of the city that uh, most people in the county don't know what happens there or that there's 30 billion now close to $40 billion a year being allocated uh, in their name. And so my work is really about demystifying the way that our government systems and public policy making processes work so that everyday people can get involved and actually uh, do democracy. And um, in particular, I was um, you know, legally trained. I'm, I'm a graduate of law school who was never interested really in the practice of law uh, in terms of going into court and saying to the judge, oh, you know, your honor, this is what the law says. This is how I think you should rule. I was really curious about this question of where do laws come from? And more specifically, how do people who are poor make laws or make laws that are on the book, on the books real for them? because we live in a country where money moves things. And so um, that is part of why I decided to, uh, you know, get legal training and to use that um, understanding to translate uh, laws and systems and processes. Um, and so I, I, I discovered along the way, um, community organizing and social movement building and a whole landscape of 
uh, efforts and people and organizations that um, are, you know, wake up every day to make change against a lot of odds. Um, and so, of course, in that process, it's, it's, it's no uh, uh, coincidence. I will run into a, a man named Stefan Walker. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the way that that works, like everything else in life, is like once you let light into your, your, uh, your own life, you know, there's a lot of uh, people that you're going to run into who are on, on a similar pathway. So that is, generally speaking, um, you know, my work. And uh, when we get into it, as you mentioned, uh, the, 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 the really interesting thing about our meeting, and I am grateful, too, for Betsy, is that this is a woman who, for folks who don't know, was an elected official in the state government of California, briefly, and um, she was involved in a project that I had taken on that I have to be honest with you, I, I do my work, uh, I wear two hats, I do my work as a consultant, so I take contracts, primarily uh, um, I contract with nonprofit organizations that are trying to uh, involve residents in the lawmaking process, um, and they need some support from an outside person to come move some kind of initiative through or support their staff to do that. Um, I, I rarely take government contracts because I like to be free from constraints that would allow me to speak openly and clearly about uh, what I think the problems are and how I think we should be prepared to address them. Uh, in this case, the juvenile justice advocates came to me and said, we know you've been working for many years on reforming the criminal justice system. Um, we have been fighting to get an oversight body over the probation department in LA County. It has a close to a billion dollar a year budget Half of that, 500 million, goes to uh, managing our probation youth camps and uh, juvenile halls. And there's a lot of issues that need to be addressed. And, and the county is hiring a consultant to facilitate that process. And, and we think that someone with your background and skills should, you know, be in that role. And I said, you know, the last time I was at the county building, I was with a bunch of grandmothers raising their uh grandkids who had been removed from their homes, largely because the parents had been incarcerated, most of them for drug addiction needs. Um, and uh, I was, we were doing a protest. We had picket signs. It was just a bunch of kids under five because they were not old enough to be in school and their grandparents. And the county's version of receiving us at this building was to send out a bunch of sheriff's deputies um, and to surround us as we were doing our picket line. So I have a lot of skepticism about whether this county can actually do meaningful civic engagement with the people that it governs. But I'm gonna go down this path with you guys and learn about the juvenile justice side and do what I can to uh, create this oversight body. And in the process, one of the participants, Betsy Butler, who was on the probation commission then, said to me, you, you have to meet the person that I referred to as my favorite person that I met the entire time I was in Sacramento. His name is Stephan Walker. He is um, the head of government relations for the California Correctional Peace Officers Association. And I looked at her and I thought, what makes you think that based on the work that I have done, 
organizing former incarcerated folks, fighting against the influence of law enforcement agencies in our politics, that I would ever have any kind of conversation to have with a man named Stephen Walker. But I have learned to be open. And uh, I, it, was, it was such a great decision by her to introduce us because it has set us on this journey of uh, opening up a new chapter and how to do this work and how to do social change work. And so I'm, I'm happy to talk with you a little bit about uh, what that has looked like and, and uh, how folks can get involved. Absolutely, man, that's fantastic. So look, um, you brought up two things that I think are near and dear to both of our, our hearts. Um, one is helping people understand how to exercise their rights, how to be informed. Um, now, I'll tell you, in my research, I, I I didn't realize I was I was sitting in the company of 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 one of the OG rebel rousers at UCLA. Man, what yeah. so. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, man, can you can you share just a little bit about that? How how you got to that point leading the um um I, I don't want to mischaracterize it, but um the Chicano Latino students during that mm -hmm. time, man. Can can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, I, I just want to say that um I, I I think that like all of us, there are people who we will never know that laid seeds for us to be able to become who we are. And part of my trajectory as an activist is really built on um, a bunch of generations of student activists that preceded me at UCLA. And I wanna share a story with you because somebody recently asked me, um, uh, you know, one of the other hats I wear besides consulting is as an educator, you know, our, our beloved poet, Maya Angelou used to say, if, if, if you know how to read, that means somebody, you had a teacher. If you know how to add, that means you had a teacher and you have an obligation to teach. And so whenever I can, um, I, I do try to be of service in that role. And I've been lucky to be able to do that at, at UCLA where I was a student. Um, but somebody asked me like, what was my pathway there? And I have to tell you, I, I, you know, I grew up really poor in, in a neighborhood that, you know, my brothers got involved with the local gang. They were older than me. I think I was protected a little bit by, um, by the fact that they were. Um, and, you know, UCLA had an outreach program to community like, like communities like ours that didn't send a lot of young people to college. And so my older siblings got invited um, to a trip my very first time there and that did not go well um, it was uh it, it was just not uh a, a thing that folks were ready to hear but by the time i was in high school or at some point in my trajectory i was able to uh, go back to ucla and it was right in the middle of the anti-apartheid student movement that was trying to convince the uc system to divest its pension plan from any companies that were invested in south africa um, I didn't know anything about pensions. I didn't know about divestment campaigns. What I did see when I got to the campus was that the students had created a Mandela village and were sleeping in the middle of the campus next to this famous a statue of a Bruin bear and across from the bookstore. 
And I was just riveted. I, I could not believe that there was these young people who were there compelled enough to, you know, spend nights there, make these demands, have to get signs. And it just marked me. I'm like, oh, this is why you get a college education. This is why you go to college to get the skills to change the world and to speak up and to disrupt business as usual when, um, you know, the, the structures that move society are so deeply invested in the status quo. And I may not have had the words for that at the time, but that deeply impacted me. And so by the time I got there um, in the late 80s, uh, deep in the throes of the Reagan administration and the rollback of the civil rights movement's gains, I uh, thought that's what we were there to do. Um, and uh, there was other activists produced programs that helped me. Uh, I was tutored uh, by folks in a program for first generation students and students of color, uh, marginalized students, low income students. Um, and so then I became a tutor my second year. And my first year, I was clear that I came from an underprepared a high school that underprepared me and I couldn't get into the protesting right away. I needed to really learn how to be a good college student. And I was grateful for that advice and for the support to be able to learn how to be a good college student. But I really want to be a good college student activist. <laughs> That's what I want to do. And so in my second year, I joined um, the Chicano Latino Student News Magazine. Um, and I started writing stories that I would be assigned about issues in the community, um, issues on campus that related to um, the types of uh, obstacles that our people had overcome just to be college students and, and the ones that remained. Um, and in that space, we were sharing space with all of the other uh, six student magazines that, that existed at the time, including the Black student magazine, Nomo, um, folks like Ava DuVernay were there at that time as a student also writing for magazines like Nomo. Um, it just it just shaped me to be in a cross-racial, uh, cross-socially uh, oppressed groups. So we had a, a, a gay uh, student publication at a time where it was a big deal that the school offered its first gay and lesbian studies class and people who were taking it weren't sure if they wanted it on their transcript because of the level of discrimination. This was the don't ask, don't tell era, um, you know, being, you know, we had a Jewish student magazine, we had magazines uh, that didn't exist yet. So when the Muslim students went to create one, uh, the school told them they, there was not enough space to have a seventh magazine. And so we in the Chicano publication said, oh, we'll give them half of our space. Um, and so it was this sort of cross group unity building and really feeling what solidarity looked like and how you have to stand together when you're doing social change work, because you, you, if, you, if you're not, if you're doing social change work, you're making people uncomfortable and you need to have a crew of folks that hold you accountable, keep you in the right direction, but also, um, you know, stand with you when you're going to be withstanding attacks. Yeah. And so for me, that was, uh, just to answer your question, like the reason that I became editor of that publication. And uh, in 1993, when I was graduating, we had uh, a, a major leader die, uh, Cesar Chavez, who had formed the Farm Worker Union. 
with Dolores Huerta, who is still around in her 90s, uh, getting, you know, going to protest up, up, up until she was in her 80s. And um, it was in that moment that the school said that uh, Chicano studies did not merit departmental status and that we would not have our own department, that this would continue to just be a program with a list of classes that could be taken across different uh, existing departments. And so that led to a hunger strike that I was in a position to cover as editor of our paper. I was now a senior and I was able to, you know, write some pieces for the outside audience who was like, what's happening at UCLA and why are the Mexican and Latino students, you know, uh, protesting and people getting arrested. And so that's probably what you came across, but it was, it was real a, a formative moment for me in understanding how power works and how collective collectivizing ourselves in face of, of the structures of power can make differences. I came back 10 years later to teach in that department that we eventually won. And I taught a class called Latinos in the Law that uh, introduced other students that the law is not just what's on the books or what happens in the courts. It's of course what we fight for and what we make real through our, our, our actions day to day. So uh, I appreciate you asking about that because it was it was you know one of the highlights like everybody should have in your early twenties to be shaped in a college campus. Wow, man. Okay, so I, I, I it, the the other component. Well, thank you for that, Saul. Because like I said, I skip. I read it and was like, how do I not know this about this guy? <laughs> and, and, but. But looking at the way you move, I mean, it absolutely makes sense that the the like you the point you pointed out about us meeting is there's this willingness to 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 not be afraid to potentially disagree. Mm -hmm but to be bold enough to want to engage in the conversation and 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 be open enough to say let's talk Let, let's see where you know where we might be able to go um and, and I'll tell you from the class yeah did you guys put together i i'm i, I i'm that's another living example of bringing people together and having a conversation um so i so i i have another question for you based upon based loosely on that is your foster care you mentioned that earlier the 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 foster grandparents um what 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 leads you what motivates you to engage in that work of keeping families together it, it, I, I i mean i'm, I'm a, that's probably a very boiled down perspective of it but that's what it feels like is keeping families together that's exactly and, it um you know and, that, and that's the right question around why i ended up in my my organizing trajectory in terms of learning community organizing, in terms of learning public policy, community-based public policy making. Um, what 
make what explains why one of the very first campaigns that I did was called Family Care, not Foster Care. Uh, the, the one that we were fighting with these grandmothers was simply to point out a, a basic fact, which was that in LA County, of the 40,000 or so children who had been removed from their homes as a result of the policies implemented after the war on drugs, 60% um, of them were being raised by grandmothers uh, because the law does create a preference that children who, who are removed by the state uh, first get to be placed with any willing family member. Um, and these were largely poor black and brown women in South LA, uh, what we call service planning area six. And we created all these maps showing that 60% um, were with grandmothers and 40% fully of all of that caseload was in South LA uh, with these black and brown folks. Uh, the least, the, the smallest number was in group homes. But if you took the billion dollar budget of the foster care system in that time, 1999, um, it was the exact opposite. The, the vast majority of money, more than 60%, was going to pay for the uh, egregious uh, cost of having children who had failed out of being cared for in the home, um, been failed by the system that wouldn't give any of the grandmothers the assistance at the front end. And then uh, once lo and behold, the child that didn't get tutoring, it didn't get all of that, the, they didn't get all of the things that you would need to prevent them from going into a group home as a troubled teenager. All of a sudden there was now money to pay for very expensive, expensive counselors and um, lodging and everything else that the group homes would charge the county. So it was a classic mismatch between where the need and the vast majority of everyday people were trying to hold families together without any state aid. And in fact, in many ways, being at, uh, uh, being uh, uh, facing a lot of state um, bullying, I don't know what else to describe it because I actually went through this when one of my uncles died, um, my mother's brother, I was just out of law school. His his uh, wife, uh, you know, treated her pain with 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 drugs and alcohol. And my two cousins at the time, thirteen and and fifteen, were now dealing with you know having lost their father and 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 their mother's um, ability to care for them. And the older boy uh, came to stay with my mother and. I happened to have gone to Central America to do human rights work after law school. I came back for Christmas holiday and there was a knock on the door and I, I, my mother answered it. I was in the bedroom listening to the conversation and Spanish speaking, Latina, like my mother, a social worker uh, at the door, essentially interrogated my mother for taking in her um, nephew uh, and accusing her and saying, you know, we can remove the other children who live in this house if you do not meet the county requirements for how you're living. Um, we're going to need to send somebody here to remove this child and there will be a court hearing and you'll have to come and establish that you're fit to have him here. And, you know, my mother was just that, you know, I just, I lost my brother and I don't want to lose my nephew to the system and their mother's not able to care for them. So I was in that moment reminded right that 
you know, as a Chicano, I, I, I didn't need to go all the way to Central America to find a human rights violation. It was happening right at the door of this house that my mom was trying to do this work in. And so I, you know, tried to dialogue with the social worker and just, you know, uh, realized like she was trained a certain way. Um, she had assumptions about us because, you know, of the poverty level in that household or, or whatever. Anyway, I didn't go back to Central America. I stayed, I became a relative caregiver on paper with my mom. My mom, of course, did most of the caregiving and I, he was a teenage boy. So he and I obviously had a point of connection um, and I was able to provide some level of mentorship and, and all that. But it was really going through that process and walking in the shoes of the families that get put through and I did used to use this phrase that you just mentioned. I used to call it the family destruction machine mm. of the foster care system, the juvenile system, and the criminal justice system. That is was what I observed. We're working together to, to as you say, um, really break up families, communities, neighborhoods, and um, really threatening the well-being of poor Black and Brown families and other families that get caught up in the system in other communities that look differently but where a lot of the same factors exist so for me that's that's the through line between why i would be working with a bunch of grandmothers in late 90s and then as you referenced just this last january to june uh, being able to convene um, folks like yourself who are uh, people with experience working in the juvenile system um, as correctional youth officers and people who had been incarcerated in those same uh, correctional systems as young people during that same time period while I was doing the work on the family side, you all were watching the transformation of our youth system into what it became, which is, you know, uh, the extreme version of it is uh, people referred to it to, to them as gladiator schools. And um, and 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 at here as we stand here, um, there is a date to shut down the state youth correctional mm -hmm. system in July of 2023. Um, that would be a huge victory, um, so that we can, you know, begin to build something different. And the inquiry that came up for me to create a container where folks with your work experience and um, commitment to justice could also be in conversation with folks who had been locked up as young people and guide that transition from the existing and past system that we have into whatever we're going to build next. Um, it was really informed by my experience and my learning that the hardest conversations are the ones that produce the, uh, I think, the, the most unique uh, wisdom and observation. And so I came up with this idea um, that if we could put folks into a process together where they could hear each other's perspectives on these key questions, how should we be dealing with childhood trauma? How do we um, transition from the existing system? Um, what would need to be put in place so that we can acknowledge the harms of the existing system, not just on the people who were incarcerated, but the people who work there. 
Um, what could that do to help us not repeat the mistake of building a new system? It always gets built with a good intention. And people say, this is going to be the new thing and it's going to be different. <laughs> um, but nobody ever does this as put the human beings who actually were in, in the middle of the existing thing that wants to be changed in, in the driver's seat to change it. And so that's what that class was intended to do. And I was really glad that you were able to participate and that we were able to build a community of folks that were willing to say, yeah, what we have something to say and we don't normally get to talk to each other across our experience um, on both sides of these cells. Let's talk to each other and see where this can go as California and LA County are trying to shift into a new justice system. Wow. Yeah, Saul, I'm, I'm truly thankful for that opportunity, man. It, it's... You know, the, the, I, I think that we met about the middle of my education, awakening, whatever you want to call it, um, about the fact that it's, that the system was hurting people and hurting people across the board. Um, and... The, then the opportunity to sit and actively engage with young people um, and, and then to meet a guy that actually <laughs> that, was, that was golden that was golden and what he said if you remember uh, we're referring to our brother uh, Gonzalo who is in this course and now works at an amazing organization called um, Homeboy Industries, but came into the course on his own and, um, you know, uh, has been like Stefan, such a light in terms of how we do this, right? Somebody who I'd never met before the course comes into it, his heart is wide open, his mind is completely uh, sharp and agile around the questions on the table, and then chooses to have the courage to open up and build rapport with somebody like you, who was a correctional uh, youth uh, officer in one of the facilities he was in and goes on this journey and is now building on that. We can share something before we wrap up on where things are gonna go next. But uh, what I remember him saying is the reason he remembered that you were in one of the facilities he had been detained in as a young person was your laugh. Uh, and that that laugh would never, uh, never leave his mind. And so I think like the rest of us who were around you, it's a contagious laugh. Uh, and and uh, it, it was just great to hear him, uh, hear him describe what all of us feel when we hear you come in the room. Well, look, so I, I'm, um, I, I think the one thing that as as we as we've been talking is number one the value of of human connection of having these conversations and and realizing that despite the surface and and no matter how turbulent it is that at our base we're all human beings and we all have, you know, we're all trying to 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 live. We we you know we want to we want to not just survive, 
And I think that's part of the problem with the correctional system is, and, and criminal justice system, is that that humanity gets suppressed and it's about a system like that caseworker that came to the door. She was trained to execute a process as opposed to looking at serving humanity, serving family, serving the community. And that's one of the things, man, I, I'm, I look at you and I, and, and now after having done this research, I'm like, this dude is about it. He is about the community. He is about humanity. He's about caring that our systems are broken. Um, and, and I know my producer will kill me if I don't ask this of you, how can people, how can organizations engage with you to support and move this, move our society forward that it continues to evolve? How can they be there to support you? Because um, look, man, I, I you, I, I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. I'm going to be there. I'm riding with you. But how can other people, how can other entities be there to 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 connect and support what you what you're doing? Oh, I appreciate the question. Uh, I think that uh, you know beyond supporting, you know, me and my efforts, um I think it's, you know, how do we support what you started with, which is centering human connection and human beings in the way that systems and institutions work. And I would say that the most important thing I, I think people can do is identify the systems and institutions that um, directly touch your life, the life of your family members, and to think about ways in which they can walk towards the uh, mechanisms that exist to be able to shape them and if they don't exist how you might find other people who are impacted by them so that you can collectivize your ability to impact them now i don't have any kids in the school system i live across the street from a high school and you know i first moved here i was like oh there's the track right across the way i want to you know uh, uh you know go run there every day and it's like well there's a big fence and the school doesn't really see itself as related to the neighbors <laughs> uh so you know if you have kids in there you could go in there and have a stake and if you don't even if you pay taxes you ain't gonna have a stake and you, you know, can't use this track so you know i think uh, it might be a decision as simple as that you know uh, what's an institution that i live near um if you if your your children are impacted by your decisions being made at the board level um you know these are not sexy things to spend your time on, but I also feel like I want to encourage people to think about how to rupture the way that things th these things normally happen. Uh, unfortunately, we see the, the example of that on the other side, which is about dividing people and deploying folks um, into board meetings and saying, you can't teach anything about the racial history of this country, or we're going to come after you with pitchforks. 
we see that happening. And so in the face of that, it becomes even more courageous to be able to um, be the level-headed person in the room and to sit there with your clear principles and to say, um, I'm not going to be erased from this process. And I also, um, I'm not going to be bullied into silence or submission. I am going to walk towards anybody who's willing to be in it for the long run and who's willing to be in it from a process where we will be disagreeing with each other on things and if we want our democratic institutions to survive, we have to learn how to disagree with each other as we're contending with the questions, the hard questions around uh, how we want things to be. So right now on the juvenile justice transformation, there is a similar process that is open to anybody who would like to participate in LA County and even outside of LA County, um, I mean, you're, you're not down here in Southern California and you've been able to really make an impact on that process because the uh, experience that you have is directly germane with uh, around the human beings that are being transferred to our county detention systems from the state detention systems and who we are hoping, you know, will be liberated from that because we do feel like there are different ways that we can handle um, the, the, the needs of folks who are young and who have made mistakes in their lives and who uh, needs a, need a different kind of pathway than the one we've we've currently used and produces nothing but a uh, 70% rate of people graduating from the young the 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 juvenile system into the adult prison system. So all that being said, um, we have a youth justice advisory group that meets monthly here in LA County, and that is basically charged with bringing in any stakeholder, that's the language the county uses, basically any human being who's interested in how our current system treats young people who have been, um, who are involved in the courts, they've been charged with a crime, they've been, um, a, they're either being adjudicated if they're in a juvenile hall while, they're, while their case is being heard, um, and there are conditions in the juvenile hall that should matter to all of us. Um, and if they are released from that juvenile hall into a camp for a sustained period of time, um, that is also part of this juvenile system. And the question is, what do we want our taxpayer money to be paying for to be happening in these spaces that could produce a better outcome than the one that we have? Certainly people who have been formerly incarcerated or young people should be at the head of that table with um, other people who are directly impacted by that system. I would say workers in those systems are also directly impacted by the conditions that they are being sent in to work in. And that's why I have worked to elevate the voice of people like you and to bring them into that conversation with those young people. And lo and behold, what do we see? That these folks are able to say, some of the same things that they see that should be different and it's produced a different kind of conversation. And so I'm really grateful for you to be in that space. Um, anybody who has an interest in the work of the Youth Justice Advisory Group for LA County can reach out to our wonderful host here and he can put you in touch with me and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that uh, you have the schedule for how to do that. But that's the main thing we're working on uh, right now here in LA County that I would invite folks to be a part of that are interested. That's and trust me, it is a worthwhile effort. It, it's it, there's some 
some, as the saying goes, some come to Jesus moments in in that. But at the same time, uh, I feel that anyone that has seen this system firsthand, um, well, in, in any capacity, whether that's someone coming in to visit, someone working there, someone that's been adjudicated there, you have an opinion and a perception that is absolutely valuable in establishing a better system, a, a better way to care for people. Um, so it, with that, I saw that's why I salute you, man, is um, for these things are, have just been on autopilot for decades. And there have been people that have suffered traumatized even die from it and the system goes on because we're silent about it i think it's uh um neil hurston's comment or our quote of uh they will if you're silent about your suffering they will kill you mm. and say you enjoyed it mm. Mm. so um yeah, it's time for it's time for us to 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 come together. The the voices of the people impacted by these systems to come together and speak out and talk about it. We we're going to find out we have a common interest of a better society, a better systems that support that society. And Saul, man, brother, hats off to you. Because <laughs> you are doing God's work, brother. You you really are, and and I thank you for it. Um, hey, that that's off to you. Thanks for getting involved uh, the way that you have, and you know, bringing that laugh uh, and and your smile into the entire process. I want to thank you because um, I have to say that in my own trajectory, um, particularly as somebody who uh has been impacted by i just this weekend went to visit my brother who's deported uh raised with me since he was one um but deported under a 1996 law that allows people with drug-related felonies to be deported no matter how long they've been here no matter how many u.s citizen kids they have um uh also somebody who's lost a brother who uh after going through several stints in the universe in the uh incarceration system um and uh, and a sister uh, with, with a long history of um, different ways of self-medicating through uh, a lot of the challenges that poor poor folks go through. Um, I in that in, even even with all of that, I had never come to appreciate and ask myself the question: uh, What does it look like to work in these systems? And it was my meeting you um, and learning that your father had also been, um, you know, a, a correctional youth, probably at the time what was called the youth group supervisor, I learned from you, uh, before it became a correctional youth officer position, um, learning about his reputation and the work that he did in a time where folks who went into that kind of work could, you know, see the young people as human beings and take them to the movies, take them to the beach, it just uh, a different kind of context than the one that we've grown up in. Um, uh, 
learning about the work that your 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 son was doing and um, and about his tragic death, um, which to this day I, I I'm just always feeling uh, feeling for you, but also learning about um, how your family history as three generations of black men who found work in a system that was uh, where the state put money to deal with young black men and brown men and others who what the state needed was to resource us to support mm -hmm. those young people like our family members who we've lost um, and others in a different way that didn't diminish anybody's humanity who was on both sides of the um, juvenile cells um, and, and, and imagine what it would mean to get rid of those cells and to deal with our impulse to wanna help each other find a different pathway in a different context. It's not easy work. Um, it comes with a personal price um, as we think about the hard moments, but it also comes with a different kind of reward in terms of doing it from a perspective where we have human beings that we're connected to that are impacted these, in these ways. But whether it's because of that or because you care about where your taxpayer money goes, because you <laughs> care about not creating systems that bring darkness into a worker's life or brings darkness into a child's life. All of those are compelling enough reasons for us to care enough to learn what is the vocabulary that the people in power use to justify what we currently have in place and how to just keep chipping away at it because that's how, that's how social change happens. But the thing that sustains us through various phases of it is keeping our hearts and our minds open to learning from each other and centering the people in the middle of it, even though we have to learn the language of policy and systems and all of these mechanisms. To me, that's been the most rewarding thing. It's why I, I'm so happy to be in conversation with you. And I know that you know whatever we build along the way, whatever we do and achieve, is gonna be secondary to how deep into relationship we want to go into with each other because once human beings get there nothing's going to stop us from producing the change that we need to produce there you go brother amen <laughs> that's right that's right yeah, we, yeah well i'm glad we uh we we actually caught that on tape so because that that needs to be immortalized brother <laughs> We're doing it. We're doing it through our actions more than anything. But I'm 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 glad that you have have, have taken a pause. I mean, you your life itself. I mean, and and everything that you've got, gotten involved with is uh, right along this journey, right along this path. And I think we don't always give ourselves the privilege of reflecting and having a conversation around what we're seeing and what we're doing together. Um, I mentioned earlier that I think it's worthwhile to know, you know, what's come out of this latest phase of the work. And that is that I will be seeing you in person in a few weeks in the context of bringing in, you know, somebody uh, bringing in uh, the person we mentioned earlier, Gonzalo, formerly incarcerated young man who 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 remembers Stefan's laugh from when he was uh, working in one of the detention centers and has chosen outside of the context of a formal class and just through his um interest as a human being to walk towards Stefan and other folks who have been working in these systems and begin to build the seeds for a truth 
healing and reconciliation process for what California's youth justice system has been, what it is, and how the human beings who've been touched by it can be in, in, um, instrumental to creating models of walking towards each other, building dialogue with each other, and naming with each other what, what went wrong, what could be different, and how they can stand together in, in making sure that the state transitions into something that looks more like real justice uh, for all of the human beings involved. So I thank both of you for including me in that work and I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks so we can begin building it. Hey, so I'm looking forward to it as well, brother. I wanna thank you today for being with us and, and you know, lifting your voice in the community, brother, in, in, in LA, in the US, and in Reason 55, man. Right Thank on. you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so with that, we're going to close. Well, we're, we're never going to end the conversation. We're just going to take a pause. And, <laughs> and so at some point, I hope you're willing to come back, brother, so we can get a little deeper into what's going on and, and you know, uh, prayerfully, uh, I'm not being overly optimistic here in saying that Mayor Bass will have been <laughs> actively engaged and 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 we're having some things go on down there. Um, and at some point, actually, I'd like you to meet the mayor up here, uh, Mayor Steinberg. Uh, and so yeah, we... you know, hats off to the people who decide to be on the other side of this work. You know, we agitate from the outside and then there are people who take on the challenge of governing and um you know sometimes that frustrates us what they have to do in, in terms of their decision making processes but um the reference to to uh karen bass who's the person that taught me community organizing who gave me the space to shape the first campaigns and you know uh, said to me, like everything I learned about what the foster care families are going through, I learned it through the memos you would have to, to write up when she formed the nonprofit organization where I went to do this work after law school. Um, you know, we're hoping that she can uh, be of service now as mayor of the city in a couple months, we'll know, in a month, we'll know whether she, she wins the election. But the reference to her as an organizer that moved into um, governance, I think is a really important uh, a really instructive one. Um, I, you know, there are things about politics I don't have any interest in, in policymaking. Um, it just, I used to tell some of my students, you know, if you want to go into the cesspool of city hall, I never worked inside of a city hall. I've never worked as, as a decision maker, but I do work on the outside, but um, it is important for people to be inside of these systems who are change agents and know how to center human beings. I would reference um, uh, chapter 21 of a book called Becoming Miss Burton, which is uh, where uh, the description by a formerly incarcerated woman of the foster care campaign happens. She happened to come to our organization and is now a leader in her own right um, in the movement by formerly incarcerated people to change laws that discriminate against them. And I just wanna share in closing how moved I was when I first met you, Stefan, we're having lunch in this building and I'm realizing that 
the first line of that chapter where Susan is describing meeting me is a, a meeting where I laid out some statistics about the influence of the CCPOA on our state legislature and our governor's races in the 80s and 90s. And I said, this is why you kept going back to prison uh, as somebody whose son, who was a five-year-old boy that was run over uh, and killed by an off-duty police officer and medicated, became addicted, um, and nobody ever stopped to say, what's the underneath, what's the underlying trauma? Because I felt that the influence that that, um, the influence of the money that the CCPOA had put into our lawmaking process had almost guaranteed that someone like Susan would never get treatment, but would constantly get incarcerated. And I remember sharing with you after you told me the story about your family trajectory in the system that I, I, you know, I said, I want you to read this chapter and ahead of you doing that, I want to apologize for erasing the possibility that anyone like your father could exist within the CCPOA, that anyone like you could exist in the CCPOA. And it's such a reminder of something that Karen Bass taught me, which is that, you know, you have to create the way to find and join the change makers, especially in places where you don't think that they are. Mm-hmm. And every time we did a campaign uh, targeting a county department, her first requirement was, did you go meet with the union of the workers? I was like, but the workers are the ones that are, you know, doing this thing to the <laughs> members in our town, you know, the, 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 the grandmothers. And then we had a people on welfare group that we were organizing. And she says, was very clear, you know, uh, the community and workers need to be on the same side. And when they're not, the way to get there is to talk to each other. And it is your job to go and take that first step. And so I'm grateful to her that something that I do very easily as an individual, I could also learn to do in my work on the policy side. And, you know, I'm happy to be on my volunteer hat on weekends, knocking on doors for her here in LA in hopes that she will be our next mayor and bring that same kind of commitment to policymaking uh, to deal with serious issues like homelessness facing us down here. Absolutely. Man, from from your lips to God's ears, brother. Hey, well, Saul, thank you again today, brother, for being here and hope that we continue our conversation some point down the road. Um, but for today, yeah, my wife is calling. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I'm Saul Saravia from Solidarity Consulting. You're listening to Reason 55 with Steph B.